Hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast that is yet to be named. In this episode, Tim and I talk with our friend Tia, who experienced a traumatic brain injury at a ski slope about 18 months ago. We talk about how it happened, her recovery, and her life since the incident. Please be aware that we're not offering medical advice. We just wanted to share Tia's story so that other people that may be in similar circumstances can learn from it and grow from it as we have. Enjoy. We just start recording at um, random parts, and that's our beginning. So good morning and happy new year. Um, yes, happy new year to you guys. Happy new year. That's for our, uh, I think this episode will probably be released sometime in April, because we're Tim and I are getting ahead of ourselves, but but happy new year. Everybody kind of dating ourselves a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're uh, joined today by Tia. She has, uh, well, I'll just let her tell her own story. I don't, I'm not big on introductions, and uh, like I said, we don't have any rules. We don't have any way to start anything. We just start chatting, so... Yeah. Go right ahead. Okay, so so yesterday on the radio, I heard a Kenny Chesney song called "I'm Alive," and it made me cry a little bit. I've heard it before. It's uh, kind of tells my story. So uh, I'm a, a skier, a professional skier, a paid ski patrol, and um, I ski a hundred days a year, and um, I had the very bad misfortune to be hit by um, someone on a ski slope who was traveling at a really high speed and was a a large man. (laughs) Lucky me. So I was standing off on the side of the trail, just clearing off my goggles and, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, just way too late to do anything, I saw someone on a snowboard, a man, who just slammed into me. And um, it was really intense. I immediately, I felt the warmth of his body. Like, I felt heat. And the, the strange thing that came across my mind was, that's another human. And then that was it. I don't really remember anything until I was like pulling snow out of my eye sockets. It was like pressed in. And, um, and this moment in time has kind of changed my life. I'm still hoping it's not forever, but this was well over 18 months ago. And, um, you know, I've tried going to various country doctors and stuff and was like, what's this clear liquid coming out of my nose? And there were so many strange things associated with it all. And it was almost as if the universe led me down like the worst care path ever. But um, I know there's no mistakes. And, you know, I think this might sometime iron out to be like something amazing for my life. Um, but you know, I, I love skiing as much as breathing or going out to dinner, which I really love, (laughs) but, um, I have the like white noise and sometimes you can tell, like I get stuck talking and just, um, just some memory stuff. And at the end of the day, I can't really tell where sounds are coming from, which is bizarre. Like my cell phone will be ringing on a table and if I can't see it. I can't tell where it is. I don't have any direction because it's like, as I get tired, the processing is 
down. There's no processing ability anymore. So I'll be like running down the hallway and someone will be like, no, Kim, your phone is out here. So um, it's been very strange, but um, oddly, I still hope to ski one day. I don't know if that's bizarre or maybe I haven't just fully let go of that idea because they're like, you really can't hit your head again. Um, but it, you know, it has brought me closer to seeing that every day is super important, that we're, our lives are really short. And if someone says, Hey, do you want to go to Barbados or, you know, some trip or dinner, your friends want you to come out, you should go because this thing could end at any moment. And I think that's really what I've learned about it. And I've also learned that um, head injuries are very bizarre. They're not well understood by many doctors. And even when you get to the top specialists, like in New York City, which I finally found, um, there's still like an element of, uh, of mystery. And um, I don't know, I, I feel like the ocean floor and the moon have been studied more than the brain and, and head injuries. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, actually. Were you wearing a helmet when you got hit? Yes. Yep, I was. I was. Now, uh, that doesn't always help, as we know, at the mountain, you know, yeah. like with trees and all kinds of other things. Um, Did you hit trees or what? So what was the impact? No, like? it's just the, it, well, there was just like the impact of this person. So he slammed into the back of my head as he came by because... Like I saw him and I turned my head like out of fear because it was like that, you know, like two seconds. And he smashed me in the back of my head and then he smashed my face into the ground. So like I got smashed on both sides and um, supposedly broke my orbit here. Like just a lot of power from a big person. Mm. And um, and I wasn't moving. I think if we were both moving, like the physics of it would have been better maybe i don't even know like yeah, if we were both going in the same direction but i was standing dead still and um and just got hit as if i was the tree you know yep what happened so, to uh, the snowboarder was he all right or he, well he he crashed pretty big time too from where i could see when i woke up and looked around um and uh he and his friend came back up and as they like saw me getting up, they left. So they didn't you know, say anything to you, or they just got um, out. You know, I really don't remember, but it was just so crazy. And I think the the reason I was able to stand up and whatever was because I was super fit, like just from. Um, walking bike trails in the summer and like cutting limbs and, and then skiing all winter. Like I was in like the best shape of my life. And now I'm like, eh, like 30 pounds more right now. It's amazing. Not moving really, you know, but I, I feel like I'm getting towards hopefully the end of this journey. And if I have to carry around some of those, the white noise things are to me, what are small, that's fine because like in the beginning I couldn't even watch TV because it was overwhelming. I'd have to go in another room and listen to TV. 
because yeah. that's all I could process. So what were some of the things that you noticed like at the first few days afterwards and like how did you end up realizing something was wrong and it was a bigger deal? Like what, right. what well, moments and days after the accident? What are they looking Absolutely. Like? I mean, as you guys probably know, if you have an injury that doesn't have a bone sticking out or something really obvious, um, people might think that you're okay unless they have a trained eye. And, you know, there's been a million times that I've talked to doctors and been like, you know what, I'm kind of pissed that like my friends or whoever didn't help me get to the right person. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't know either. If you if you're not super versed in head injuries, you don't know. You know, the only sign we're taught is like, you know, throwing up or nausea and like a few different small things that everybody knows. And don't let somebody go to sleep if they have a concussion. Yeah, like that one I think is even gone, but I've been out of it now, you know, a couple years. Um, so I don't even know. The training changes all the time. But um, stuff I noticed, like when I'd walk down a hall, I would smash into the wall on the right and like just kind of sweep along the wall, like scrape along the wall and, um, just massive headaches. My face, like all my nerves on my face were like intense. And then the back of my head felt like it was going to like crush in. It was just the crunchy, weird feeling. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure, but there is a new study right now of, headaches that form along the suture lines of your skull. And um, I don't even know if it's possible, but that I got hit so hard that that was something in play. But, you know, they when you go and get examined, if you aren't leaking a lot of like CSF, like cerebral spinal fluid out your nose, if they don't test for it or whatever, then they'll just be like, you need to rest. It's all very foggy. It, you have to get to the right person at the right time. Um, otherwise, your treatment gets very uh, off kilter, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I would. So, yeah, the top number one thing was an unending headache that would just go on and on and on. And, um, like I had some pills for it and stuff, but eventually they did, um, they did Botox for it to stop it. And I would get a couple months of peace out of that. So um, when you got, so how long did it take before you ended up realizing like, I've got a head injury going on here. I need to get to, um, I'd say even the the worst doctor that I went to in the beginning, like knew there was something, uh, something wrong. Um, but trying to get to like a, say a neurologist when you don't have one, trying to get to these extreme specialists is like months. And also it was more of a COVID time than now. Uh, yeah. So that made a huge part of the whole story it was trying to get to people with the covid restrictions and the limited doctors and stuff it was kind of the worst possible time so i don't know i feel like i'm being really non-linear right now and that's <laughs> one of my problems but i i want to just go forward and like think about 
you know, that Kenny Chesney song and be like, I'm alive and well, and I can make something good out of a bad situation and maybe, you know, talk to National Ski Patrol or whoever to help people know what someone with a head injury looks like right from the first minute. Um, And most of all, tell these people to don't waste time in your little local neighborhood, um, especially if you're way, way, way out in sticks. Um, Try to get to the best specialist you can. But, you know, I come from Connecticut and uh, basically there with the sports teams and such, people have a pre a pre-concussion exam like on the soccer teams and stuff so that they know they have a baseline for like all the kids that play you know kind of say a varsity or higher level um so that if anything happens it's obvious and they already that way have like a neurologist they have a path to care and we don't have that in ski patrol that I've been around, I haven't even heard of it nationally, but you wonder like, could that, and, and this is not my idea. Someone more advanced than me mentioned this one day. Why don't we have that kind of exam where a neurologist comes in from outside and just does exams of everybody to kind of get a baseline of like what they operate like normally you know, they kind of probably give you like those neuropsych tests where you're like comparing pictures or (laughs) those little triangle blocks and all that stuff. I don't know. I mean, it's probably expensive, but I think it would be important for people that are doing dangerous stuff because we're every day, like skiing down steep stuff, carrying tons of stuff in our arms. I've got like a drill in one hand and like maybe like a barrel in the other or some kind of crazy thing. And then, you know, when the guests get hurt, like I put them in my sled, I take care of them, like splint their injuries or whatever, me and one other person. And then I stick them in a sled and I ski them down like a reindeer. You know, I have two handles that I hold on to and the only braking system is a chain. (laughs) So I take this chain and I throw it under the sled and when I get on a steep, icy area, I mash the chain down. And that and me side slipping uh, slows it down. So it's very archaic. Like I get into a flat area and I pull those handles up, like with all of my might, to ease up the, um, the chain digging into the ground. Unless you want to stop and flop the chain up. But then when you get to another fast area, you have to put it back down. It's just... It's the most amount of work you can ever imagine. And then there's someone behind the sled called a tail roper who's in case, God forbid, you fall or something, you know, that they still have control of the sled. So it's just it's the most physical thing. And um, and am I realistic to like think I can go back to it or? I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I I really love what I do, and um, there may be a modified version of it. My, well, um, one of the ski patrols around us has uh, just taken on their first um, adaptive ski patrol, which was somebody who was 
a regular ski patrol who was in a terrible accident and now skis with like the outriggers. So, you know, I, there may be room for that. Like if I didn't have to do the super hard physical side, like if I could do more of like, um, surveying the scene or reporting or I, I, I just don't know what happens next. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe something totally different. What are, or maybe uh, a book. <laughs> what would be so, all right. So an accident just happened. What would be some of the signs and symptoms and things that you were looking for that you would teach people that you want people to be aware of in those first minutes to hours after an accident that they would right. work? Um, well, one of the big ones is what was the, um, I forget the technical name for this, but the way that they were hit, what, what were the forces involved? Like was, did three people collide? Did somebody run into a tree? It's like the, um, the amount of force that, you know, was involved here. And even though this person is standing, I've seen people stand on broken legs. Like it's unbelievable what adrenaline does. Well, you guys know, I mean, you're both athletes and um, the amount of pain someone can be in, but the adrenaline overrides it. And it's almost like people feel like if I stand, I'm okay. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I stand, then I'm keeping the bad forces away and then I'm not bad. <laughs> um, so I think what would be the signs, you know, I'd really, hadn't written these down beforehand i'd go for some of our basic ones which are like nausea or throwing up but more also the the aggravation um people get really aggravated and they um they can be almost like they want to fight with you um that's like a weird one you know it's kind of takes you by surprise and um certainly like the i think it's called perseveration or like when they just keep looping they kind of repeat the same thing a few times um but i mean i would be suspect of it with so many injuries even if they have say like a broken wrist if this tumble was hard enough or if somebody hit them there still could be like um things in the brain there's a lot of different brain things but you know there's that old idea of coup counter coup that your brain swings one way inside the skull and then smashes back the other way or um there there can be a lot of shearing which is like a diffuse oxonal injury where the the brain gets torn like it shears and twists there's just so many things that happen and, you know, you might have like that wrist looks really bad. You know, maybe there's like a bone sticking out or something and that can distract you from the fact that there's also a head injury. So you might not be getting really quality information from this person if you're asking like, you know, what family members they're with, like if if they're on any drugs or whatever. I don't know. I think um, so. Nausea, I, confusion, 
aggress- being aggressive, irritated. Right. Those are all signs of potentially uh, TBI. Right. And there's so many more um, <laughs> without like having a, a list to write down. <laughs> I can't remember them all right now, but um, I just feel like there's not enough. Uh, uh, there's not enough pre-planning for this. I mean, um, I've had unnamed people that I've worked with that like maybe had a little girl or something that had had a really bad fall and she's like, I have a headache and, you know, I'm queasy and I'm kind of sleepy or whatever. And they will start reaching out to friends they're like who do we know that knows someone that's a neurologist because everybody knows you can't get in you really have to have be like in the loop it's very uh it's just kind of the broken medical system i i hate to be one of those people but i do think it's super broken and i had many moments where i was like advocating for myself on the phone and I mean, I feel like the people on the phone could understand because I was like having these halting conversations, waiting for more words to come in and um, just trying to get some care. I We all know it's kind of semi-broken um, and you really need that advocate. I would surely, I would surely advise anyone that gets into a big accident to find a friend or somebody that's going to be like your advocate and keep things in a binder and make the phone calls and stuff. I did try the binder right from the beginning and I look back at it and it's hilarious. Like the, the order of things and the way I stuff things in that binder. And I thought it was really great. So it's, it's funny. It's funny and painful to look backwards on how this all went down. And I mean, I have some skis in my room right now. Like I couldn't even look at them for a while. One day I actually threw them out the back door into the snow. I mean, I have a bunch of pairs and I probably should start selling some. I just, um, think, I think the universe might be hinting for me to do something else, but I haven't, released my clench on skiing yet just one of those folks you know that like i let go very slowly and move on to the next thing super slow motion i know one of the other uh potentials for a tbi is uh uneven pupils uh yes so like Oh, so that's actually, I was born with uneven pupils. Oh, no. <laughs> so I actually, when I was a kid, I used to have to wear this little tag that said, uh, un, it was like a medical tag that said like uneven pupils, like in case I was ever knocked unconscious or something. And, right. you know, like they found me, right. I guess they said that they would think there was pressure. And I don't know that this is still uh, <laughs> the the technique that they would use, but I was told when I was a kid that if they, uh, like an EMT or the hospital found me that way, that I would, uh, they would think there was pressure on my brain and they would drill a hole in my head. Absolutely. I mean, you could get, they could call life flight for you, which is like, you know, $35,000 to Albany, like crazy. But yeah, that's, that's very true. In fact, somebody who is one of our testers for our course at ski patrol had a glass eye and they would always throw him in as a patient 
and see if you picked up on it, you know, that like his, because your pupils will like adjust together, that that one is not even doing anything. Well, so yeah, he was the, he was the secret, secret tester. Hilarious. <laughs> Kim, we're obviously talking about, you know, TBI, traumatic brain injury on two levels on a ski slope, right? You have the guests, which is one, and then you have the people right. that physically work there. Um, right. And I could see where it would be real common with guests. People fall down and and ultimately you can't control that. But I mean, in your experience, having worked on ski slopes, how, how many people are in your position, like have a traumatic brain injury or have taken a big hit like that just doing this work? How common is it? I, you know, I don't know. It's hard to figure out. I don't know a lot personally, but because of HIPAA, um, a lot of this stuff is not reported much. I mean, some people that I worked with thought that I moved to, like, California. So, um, you know, there's it's not talked about much, and I think really they can't. Right. Um, but, like, I don't know. There's a movie called Crash Reel, which is about a professional snowboarder who uh, gets a way worse brain injury than me. And um, once he starts getting better, he immediately wants to go back to what he did and um, eventually secretly en enters a race and can't do it because like the way his brain is changed and the way it connects with his body, it's not the same as it was before. And he's obviously like, top of his sports like he was going to the olympics and stuff and he's a kid from vermont actually so this guy went on to start a um a brain foundation called love your brain so i'm just saying like that's somebody that um is like the extreme example of this but obviously snow sports of any kind there's stuff happening all the time like a busy day at any of these mountains if you go into their base first aid there's every possible kind of injury there and um you just don't really see it you know that like when we end our day and there's like it's a busy day and there's people still all in these beds like a mash unit waiting for ambulances like you know the um, the worst ones are going out first and then the broken wrist has to wait and whatever um Nobody who's in the bar and just had a great ski day with their college buddies is thinking about that. It's you see people are very taken aback when they have to come see us and they look around and they're like, wow, there's like a lot of people here. And then they have to start gathering their friends stuff like, you know, can we even drive him or does this person have to go in an ambulance? Like, you know, there's all their gear is all over the mountain and everybody's got to figure out like the rental house and how just there's a million pieces to the whole thing that hopefully most people never see, but it, it's all the time. And, you know, busy days, obviously it's just numerical, like an actuary. If you take many thousands of people, you're going to get a certain amount of accidents no matter what. You know, whether their equipment fails or somebody hits them or they've just worked in a cube for like 30 years and all of a sudden they're back out on the ski slopes and you expect your body to move like it did in college <clears throat> and it doesn't. So, 
Yeah, nobody really knows. And, you know, when they when they see us come by with the sled, they're always like, I think they feel like it's bad mojo. <laughs> you know, people like kind of get out of the way, thank God, most of them, and um, kind of give you like a very odd look like, oh, is, is that person OK? And I'm like, I can't talk to you because <laughs> you can't. I mean, you, it's obviously it's we're no doctors, but we're just medics, but we can't obviously say anything so right well, it just it seems to me that in, in that environment where basically physical injury is just part of the the course of the day that if you educated the people like yourself about traumatic brain injury for themselves that would transfer over into you dealing with a possible patient right if you were educated like as just look the the i have a feeling that there's probably a lot of undiagnosed head trauma in ski patrol Right. Because like all those things you just named, like getting the person off the mountain, the number of injuries, all those different factors that go into it probably overshadows the fact that somebody might have a slight concussion. Right. It might not be as severe as yours, but, you know, any concussion is bad. Like any brain, anytime your brain gets bruised, it's not a good thing that happens. But I think but if you could educate people the workers themselves, the people on the ski control for their own benefit, like, you know, this is a like in, in for Tim and I being arborist, it's it's what's it's a known hazard. Is it a likely hazard? Right? Is it a likely hazard we could get hit on the head by a tree branch? Yes, absolutely. So we should have some education on how not to get hit on the head with a tree branch, and then what to do if that does happen. So, and then I think that would transfer over into your medical care of your patients or your guests, right? Um, you know, because you're as a worker, you're more aware of brain injury. And the possibility of concussion for yourself, hence you're going to start to, to transfer that down through. And I definitely think it's starting to make its rounds um, in the medical community. You're starting to see it through um, veterans football. organizations yeah, and football and the NFL is a big one. Yeah. yeah when I saw that injury, uh, um, I forget the player's name because I don't really watch football, but, you know, he got hit in one game and then he went in a few games later and he got hit again. And he was pushing his arms away from his body, which is called posturing, which usually means you've got a pretty good brain injury in there. And um, and the NFL like made a move to uh, stop putting people back in after they have a head injury. And I thought, this is groundbreaking. This is like a major move um, to see that with them. And and I do agree with you. I think if there was more awareness, then it would it would trickle down to the guests. I mean, I imagine in your industry too. Is there kind of like um almost like well like a John Wayne or like a cowboy? Like everybody should be tough, and uh, you guys should be tougher than like the public kind of um feeling because i think that exists in ski patrol like well usually we're in very good shape you know we're skiing at least 100 days a year and most people i know also do like mountain biking or very physical jobs like yours on the other side so you know i'm not saying we're not going to go in the olympics but we're usually in like very very good shape so it takes a lot to take someone down like you guys, you know, it takes a lot, uh, probably a lot more than someone in the grocery store that doesn't 
doesn't really do anything, but maybe walks two miles a week. It's different. But I think there needs to be that level of awareness that um, it's your brain. It's not like how big your um, calves are or, you know, your biceps or something. It's your brain is probably in the same shape as that guy that works in the cube um, and hasn't, you know, done any exercise in like years. So like you have all the physical part of your body that's way, way, way stronger, but your brain is kind of the same from what I've learned. And, you know, if you, if you're moving and then stop or you like me stopped and then start moving, um, your brain is going to twist inside there. And it's just kind of, I think really the luck of the draw, what happens um, how much shearing you get and how much it goes forward and backward inside of your skull. Um, well, I think it's, it's, I've, I recently heard that um, even uh, being on a jet ski could be, could give you like a TBI, like long-term because just like the, the consistent pounding. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like the rattling, the rattling of your brain and like being out on a lake or out in a river or, out in the ocean or something like the constant. If you've ever been on a jet ski before, you actually like that is like a type of like TBI. Like there's no other time. Like in evolution, there was never a time that we were just receiving that kind of impact over and over again. It's like as soon as you start to put in things like skis and we're we're increasing speed and on mountain bikes and motorcycles and all these different things that we now technologically have that speed us up. It's like we didn't evolve to deal with like impacts with speed, you know, uh, one of the things that I've seen in a pet peeve of mine is my friends who won't wear helmets on their motorcycles. Cause I'm like, and I always say to them, I'm like, you could like right now, one of us could fall out of our chair and hit our head on the floor and be different the rest of our lives. It's like, and you never know, or we could fall over and be fine. And maybe we don't, we don't notice, but it doesn't take very much to like, you know, to impact the brain. And, uh, I've actually had that conversation. It's sad, but I've had that conversation with many, many friends because I live in Connecticut and there's no helmet law and lots of people, I get it. I understand the wind in your hair and the freedom of being on your motorcycle and stuff. But to me, I just, I don't, I feel and I've done it when I was younger, I've done it. But I feel so uncomfortable now not having a helmet, like riding any distance. I just feel like, oh, my God, you know, like at any second I could just fall over. And I've had that conversation with friends uh, and one in particular. I used to I would ride with him and uh, and I would say, dude, why aren't you wearing a helmet? Like just put a helmet on. Like You got kids, you know, like you could fall. I gave him the whole spiel. You could fall over right now and you could be different the rest of your life. And he's like, ah, shut up. You know, it's just kind of being that tough guy of, you know, being hard and whatever. And he's, he passed away, got in a motorcycle accident. He tried to pass somebody and they didn't have a blinker on and they turned and he crashed and there was no blood. There was no bones sticking out or anything, but he just hit his head and he never got back up. And I had to carry his casket and lower him into the ground. And I'm like, you know, it just, it's such a real thing. Like your brain is such a fragile organ. It's just, you know, and it's the idea that it's just kind of floating around in there and the, the whiplash, the impact, you know, of like the stop and the start and the, 
rapid concession of you know even smaller little uh, little hits can really damage the brain. Well, you might have to cut this out, Tony. But um, I mean, Tim saw me that year ago, and then I just saw Tim, um, and he felt like I had come a super long way. Yep. And that made like the most uh, that made a huge difference to me. I felt really good about that. So I have a question on that. What was um, so in that year? So I got the opportunity to see you. I think it was about six months after uh, the initial accident. Right. You were uh, had you had difficulty with uh, finding words and. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of different symptoms you could tell were going on. And uh, and then now a year later, so because I don't see you every day, I've seen you a couple times with a couple different virtual calls over the over the course of the year. But then to see you in person, you were a lot calmer and a lot more organized and a lot more coherent with, with your speech and uh, more eye contact and all those things. Um so what were some of the things that you did in the last year that uh, just helped you progress and get better? Oh, I would say um, physical therapy was humongous, huge, and just... Uh, what kind of physical therapy do they do for TBI? Um, there was... A lot of like cranial sacral on my neck area because, well, originally they thought I had broken C6. Everything was so fuzzy. And my um, first MRI on my head was, ooh, like a month and a half after the accident because of like insurance and all that stuff. Everything was ridiculous, you know, as if no one cared. Um, But I mean, in that time, I like, tried to eat fish a few times a day or a few times a week, like, um, salmon, shrimp, blueberries. I had special, every kind of pillow, you know, for my head. Cause my head still hurts when I put it back on a pillow, which is crazy. Um, just, uh, acupuncture, um, like, you know, any kind, Anything that I could find, oh, uh, prism glasses that have prisms because when you get smacked hard enough, your convergence goes off. So um, when you got the uh, the Botox, you said you had gotten some Botox right. uh, shots. How did did that? You said the headaches went away and you felt better. So when the headaches went away and you got the Botox, did that help with the other symptoms like the the balance and the word retention and? Oh, I would say it definitely helped with like my cognition and word retention because there wasn't the constant pain um, going on. And I could actually, you know, I did like some kind of online course and I could actually read things and study. And like, I felt like I needed to start stuffing like words and information back into my brain. And I was able to do it because I wasn't in the constant pain. That's a really good question. Um, but I was also open to any other avenue that is known to assist with this kind of recovery that the more advanced hospitals maybe say like, you know, like in a major city that I finally found are 
are cognizant of that, of, of say acupuncture or physical therapy or cranial sacral therapy or, um, uh, neuropsych, you know, they will start to create a plan that you need to reach out to all these other people. Um, and, you know, in the meanwhile, I just spent my own personal money on, on the massages, on the acupuncture. A lot of these things aren't covered by insurance, but my goal was to get back as soon as possible. Like I am very competitive and I just felt like I'm going to beat this. I'm going to find a way I'm going to read everything I can. Um, and it took a while to be able to read for a long time, but you know, paper is better when you have a brain injury with the screens make you like really, you can only do a teeny bit in the beginning. So I feel like I'm a smart girl. I have a good education and I'm going to read every possible thing I can and find out the best, quickest way to fix myself. And, you know, it probably drove my boyfriend nuts constantly saying, how much Am I like 80% back to normal? I kept, I'd always make him give me a percentage. Like, am I 85%? And, you know, I've since learned that's really a not good thing to do when you have any kind of TBI because you're probably not going to be exactly the same as before. But, you know, the way you probably should phrase it in your mind is I'm going to be better. I'm going to be someone else, someone, someone better, someone making a difference in the world, someone um, making sure that nobody else goes through the same problems that I did. So yeah, I try, I will have a weak moment every now and then and ask the percentage. <laughs> but um, I, I think there's a little, a little piece, whatever percentage it is that I'm not really exactly the same as I was before. Um, so what but are it's, your, okay. What are your next steps? So you, I, I hear you saying, and because I, I know you personally, and what you've shared so far, your dream is to inform ski patrol, and t- so other people don't have to have the same experience. Other people don't get stuck going through the the same pain and the the learning process. And so, uh, what steps and what's like? So what's next phase for you to be on that track and to go out and inform the world and, you know, other ski patrol, uh, about TBIs in, in this world. Um, you know, do I become like the next kind of Katie Couric, right? She was the, um, getting everybody to get their colons checked, right? Because her husband, she had lost her husband, I think. Right. So, I mean, I, you look at her and you obviously she's a star and has the star power and stuff. But I think, um, I think it's something that I could do. I feel like with the right backing and someone with a science background, I could, um, I could charge forward with this. I think it's, it's a niche, you know, it's an opening that, somebody should definitely fill at some point. And if I'm able to go to go speak on that at mountains um, and just get people to realize that it's, it is very important. And those, you know, first days are important. 
um, then if I can make a difference, that's great. And maybe the answer is for people like you um, or patrol, arborists, anyone whose job is, um, what do you guys call it, industrial athlete or whatever, the, yeah. they need to have that initial check with a neurologist so that they've done, even if it's like half an hour of testing with you, that they know kind of where you're at, like your personality, um, the way that you think, are you spatial or, you know, are you more verbal and like all of that in place before something happens, because you're going to have a much easier path you're already going to have someone in your back pocket that you can go to and be like, had a terrible fall, um, not feeling right, a little queasy and blah, blah, blah. Like that they'll be able to take you on right away. You won't have to go through the crazed search of, you know, trying to find a specialist like in the backwoods of Montana or wherever you are. It, it's not pretty. And I think everyone knows this. If you've had a friend in an accident trying to get the right people in a quick manner when no one knows you. Mm. You're just a phone call, you know? You're just somebody named Tim on the phone going, you know, my friend was in a terrible accident. We really need a great neurologist. I'm trying to be the advocate. And they're like, we're booked. You know, see you in three or four months. That's that's not a help, really. Um, I, I feel like that's that person could end up killing themselves by mistake, mm. like hitting their head again. And, uh, and no one was informed. And, you know, after the fact, it's like, Oh, it's a damn shame. You know, like Bob was such a nice guy. It's just a damn shame that no one knew that, you know, he had a slight uh, brain bleed from his fall yeah. or, you know, how come nobody realized it? You know, his signs were subtle. Like, he was having struggling. He was like struggling filling out that form. Like he couldn't spell and stuff. Like, you know, there's they can there can be very minor signs, um, but that could save Bob's life because if he went back out and did tree work or did whatever and then hit his head again in that precious time, which is, I guess, it varies by your accident, but it the healing for the brain they say is like one to two years um it's so much slower than you would think and then after you get past that time the healing is much slower if at all but in that very first couple months or whatever depending on whatever happened to the person you know if they fall and hit their head again that could be it mm. done so wh why do we have to have poor Bob go through that? <laughs> let's like save Bob, you know, let's have people be way more aware and, and willing to stand up. I think there's an element of that too, because it's so fuzzy and confusing that like, does Tim say to Tony, you know, you hit your head, you're not a hundred percent normal. This could be serious. Like, let's go to the neurologist that it takes some, you know, some uh inner strength to do that even right especially like tony might be hard to convince he might be stubborn 
Yeah, it's weird when it comes to injury like that and, and mental illness or mental health in that, like, you know, guys will show you their scars and their broken bones and it's almost a point of pride. But yet you, you talk, they won't want to talk about a head injury or admit to it because there's almost like I must be, if my brain got bruised, I must somehow be weak. And it's just really not true. So I think a lot of it is is awareness, understanding that, you know, if you're in a scenario where a method of injury is, is head impact, you know, or even whiplash or like Tim said, that, you know, that constant pounding, you should definitely be aware. And then also that like, it's okay to admit that you might have had a brain injury, right? It's not, you're not weak somehow. It's like, like, oh, I, I, my neck wasn't strong enough to protect me. And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and, and you're right. And a lot of it comes down to that, um, for lack of a better term, macho attitude, you know, like I'm invincible. And this is not something that, you know, there's a, and, and it's really strange that way that people won't admit it. I mean, I worked with the guy, Many years ago, and uh, we were doing tree work, and we were doing a crane removal, and it and it wasn't bad, but essentially he cut a piece of wood. He was in an aerial lift, and he cut a, a large piece of wood off of a sycamore tree. And just because he positioned himself poorly, and the crane operator was kind of newer to tree, the big piece, and it probably weighed a ton or two, it came over, and it just barely bumped him on his hard hat. Not, like, hit him, but it, it literally just came over and tapped him on his hard hat. And then the next thing I know is, is like, uh, he's just up there. And long story short, I hadn't realized he had had a history of brain injury playing football in high school. And I knew nothing about this. You know, we're, he's in his mid-20s. I'm in my late 20s. And I, I literally had him come down and, like, it just reactivated his brain injury. He was not right. Like, he couldn't. He what? He was slow. It was basically a. It hit him so lightly and there was such a history that it gave him another concussion. And it's like, and I was like. I didn't know anything about this. This wasn't, you know, a big thing. And mercifully for him, he was able to kind of realize this was a problem, realize he had a history with it, and then go seek some medical attention. He only worked with us for a couple more years. But it, that's something he's going to have to be concerned about for the rest of his life. It's literally always going to be with him. And I think that, you know, in your case, Kim, there's probably a lot of people on ski patrol that have had these small concussions. They got over it in a week or two or just sucked it up and drove on because that's what tough people do. And now, and then they, and it happens again and again. And I think we're seeing this a lot with like veterans organizations with traumatic brain injury, the extremely high rate of suicide with veterans. And it, they're starting to associate that with brain injury and all these things. And it just, it's definitely a big, big problem that I think awareness, a light needs to be shined on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think. Along the insurance yeah, line. Yeah, they say once you've had that injury, it's, it's you know, it, it just repeated. That's why in, in the NFL, they're talking about it so much because all the, like, the repeated hits over and over again, and they're checking guys, and then they have to get, once they have a, a big hit, they have to get checked and cleared to go back. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think it's really good to be shedding awareness on that because it's, mm -hmm. it's not just football. It's not just, you know, it's having... Uh, right. Any activity. I mean, rock, I mean, you could take a fall or, you know. Uh, it's a twofold thing. It's awareness. And then, like you were talking about with your buddy who just didn't want to wear a helmet, it's like, you know, protecting yourself from the obvious hazards of the things you're doing, right? You know, like if you're skiing down a slope, could you hit your head? Yeah, absolutely. Wear a helmet. You know, could you get snow in your eye? Yes. Wear, you know, face like these things. And then when you see somebody that doesn't do it, doesn't take those almost good sense approaches because I've done, I'm done calling it common sense because it's just not common. It's good sense. Um, 
you know, and just protect it. And it, and I get it. It you were wearing a helmet, Kim, and it's it's not mm-hmm. you don't. Oh, I got my helmet on. I can move through life with impunity. No, you can wear the helmet and still suufer an injury, but imagine how bad it would have been had you not had the helmet on. Right? Oh, you might not absolutely. be sitting here having this conversation with us. They might have been pulling two people off that slope, you know and and so and you that those good sense approaches like is this something that could happen? If I'm getting on my motorcycle, is it possible that I could get hit in the head? Yes, you know, so protect yourself to the best of your ability against it. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't do that activity. You know, if you can't find the reasonable hazards and protect yourself against them, then don't do it. I still, uh, <clears throat> I still don't have uh, a snowboard helmet. Every year, I, um, I remember when we were kids, we would go to the mountain. No one had a helmet ever. And then I remember over the years, ten years ago, you'd see like one or two guys with a helmet, and you'd be like, "Yeah, look at that guy, no hel- with a helmet on." You know, it's like it was the oddity. And now I go out there and honestly, to be completely honest, it's I just I'm probably cheap and just haven't bought a helmet. I've tried a few on. I've worn a few a couple different times, but I don't go enough. And then when the day comes that everyone's going to the mountain and I just tag along, I just show up there and I'm like, oh, yeah, one of these days I got to get a helmet. So this might be my call to to get my helmet for for snowboarding. Uh but I'm now now I'm the guy on the mountain where I feel like everyone's looking at me like, wow, that guy's not wearing a helmet, like because everyone else has a helmet, you know. And uh, I also, my father got in a motorcycle accident about ten years ago, and he uh, was wearing a helmet, was going thirty five. He was in a straightaway. Someone pulled out directly in front of him, and he absorbed the impact with the side of his face, and uh, he was, you know, he was in the neuro trauma unit ICU for you know, 45 days in a coma. It was 10 or 11 months before he got out of the hospital. And he still is very different than he used to be. Uh, part of it is just some of the, uh, I mean, he's on all kinds. He lost the use of his left arm. So his left arm just dangles there. He's got nerve damage and pain. So he's just in constant pain. So, uh, sometimes it's hard to tell if it's the TBI that caused the issue or if it's just that he is on a ton, on fentanyl patches, you know, like if he's if it's like all the drugs that he's on, or if it's uh, a little bit of like depression because he went from a very active lifestyle to just no license and just kind of hanging around. So, um, but there are times that I'm there, and he will be uh, kind of his old self, and he'll be like kind of chatty, and I'll just like want to clear my schedule and be like, I'm just going to hang out. And enjoy him when he's there because then other times you get there and he's he's very quiet you know he was never a quiet guy before but um yeah tbis are a, are a wild thing can i just speak on the helmet situation if you do get one there's a new technology technology called mips m as in mother i p as in peter s as in sam and you want the helmet with that because it has kind of like the interior section that'll kind of move if you crash, whatever. After my cra- crash, um, my boyfriend would not ski, and it's part of his job, until he got a MIPS helmet. Like, he wouldn't even go back out. Um, so, you know, they're, they are advancing with the technology. Um you know, you can even have music in your helmet, but I I don't know if that's a good idea, really. 
I, I think they've gotten much cheaper. You know, maybe now in like the after Christmas time, you might find one. Oh, they're a couple hundred bucks. Like it wouldn't change my life at all financially to go buy one. I just right. I'm weird with money. Sometimes I pick and choose. I'm right. Like, but I'll be Tim, frugal. I'll be frugal on a helmet, but then I'll go buy like a twenty thousand dollar bulldozer. Be like, yes, bulldozer. <laughs> well, Tim, you know, with the helmet, like with a couple hundred bucks, you could spend that on like all the acupuncture pillows and other garbage yeah. in a minute like two hundred dollars is like 10 cents yep. once you start trying to buy these therapeutic things to try to help yourself it's oh, like sure. yeah money out the door in well, five seconds so many helmets i have helmets for tree work i have helmets for rock climbing <laughs> i have helmets for white water uh i have helmets for motorcycles and now i just i'm like i guess i need another helmet now for <laughs> you know I remember when I bought my first really expensive and I mean, you know, a couple hundred dollar motorcycle helmet and I took my daughter to the shop with me um, because I figured that's why I was buying the helmet. Right. It would it would make the purchase seem better because I, you know, it's like I was spent three hundred dollars on a helmet. And this was a number of years ago. But now I'm like, you just got to think, you know, what's my head worth? What's my brain worth? And there's always two sets of numbers when it comes to accidents, right? There's the people that get hurt and have injuries, but then there's the people that did the right thing the right way and didn't get hurt because they had that helmet on. And that's always the bigger number, but you can't report that number because you can't report something that never happened because you did the right thing the right way. (laughs) You know, and it's just in having that. And yeah, that knowing that technology about the helmet's important. And there is a lot of stuff that's, that's increasing. I have some friends of mine that do a lot of like cycling bicycling and uh those helmets are too because a lot of the uh cycling impact is your head hits and then you get that shearing force so the helmet's designed to kind of move while your head stays still and (laughs) it's it's fascinating and it's like oh my god that's a super expensive like your brain is kind of priceless you know you can't replace that they haven't done the brain transplants yet you know right not to mention the discomfort and all these things that go with an injury right and the element of relying on somebody else like Luckily, you know, my boyfriend was very behind me through this all, but like, you know, I was home, I was cooking and stuff, but maybe like I wasn't helpful otherwise. And he was driving me to appointments. I'm just saying whoever is going to take care of you, maybe like when your dad went through all that, like the family or somebody picks up the slack and it's like, do you really want to put that on somebody? I mean, will the helmet keep all that away i don't know i had like the best equipment all brand new spanking new and things still happen but but imagine the consequences had it not been there right you know right had it been you know that and yeah and you could go on it it, i having been a trainer in arboriculture you know the helmet discussion the safety the ppe discussion is a constant thing and uh, I, I would hope that it's changing. Like Tim said, you know, in the ski slope, you know, 20 years ago, you were the oddball with a helmet. Now you're the oddball <laughs> if you don't. And that's good. That's it. That's a good change. It should be that way. Um, you know, and I hope that, that it, in other industries, and I think what changes it is when you start to realize, you know, just the awareness of it, that, like, you know, having this, this conversation and understanding that that can happen is, uh, is part of that change. Well, to Tim's point, too, about the jet skis and, like, maybe getting a mini concussion after, like, a day of, you know, going on a jet ski tour that's maybe not on a lake or something. Um, 
all these people like you guys or ski patrols in their free time are doing all of that jet skis and every other thing. So even if they had an old concussion, they're doing even more sports. I mean, it's just kind of a personality and, and I personally love sports, but could there be other damage that's subtle from like some other thing that you're doing? I don't know. I, I'm glad that, you know, that, that football is seeing it and kind of creating a awareness that is, is huge. I mean, who doesn't watch football? Well, maybe me, but there's not that many people. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> I think, I think the biggest benefit when you look at an organization like the NFL was, I think those, when a professional athlete like that gets a concussion, it, my guess would be not being a medical professional, but my guess would be there's a history of concussions and the, the true power of the NFL putting money behind it is maybe that research and that awareness and that medical treatment trickles down to high school football players and college football players. And maybe you can start to prevent some of those initial brain injuries or those initial impacts that build up to the final one that you see. Cause I mean, nobody walk very rarely do you see an NFL player, a professional athlete walk into the sport one year and then the next year they're at professional level. They've been getting hit on the head their whole lives, you know, playing football. So right. yeah, hopefully that's where, you know, that, that awareness can trickle down through in that research. And you need to look at it, whether you like professional football or not, American football, NFL, they have a, they have deep pockets and maybe, you know, it's a good organization to start to do some of this research to make that difference, to make it aware, to help these injuries. I mean, even like I said, some of the research coming out of the veteran, the VA, the v- Veterans Administration is is going to go a long way in, in helping those things. And hopefully it can combine and, and make a difference. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay, my, uh, I appreciate you coming out. This is awesome. Really looking forward to seeing where uh, you end up going with this. Maybe we've been telling people maybe in a year we'll do a, a check back in and see see how your story's progressed and, and mm-hmm. you know where you're at on your on your journey. Absolutely, thanks that. so much for coming on, and having the discussion with us. Uh, it was great. It was. I think it's a very very good subject that needs a lot of attention. Um, I think, and especially in the shall you call them the impact sports, but then also the sports that aren't necessarily like skiing is not an impact sport, but it's a sport you can take an impact doing. Right. <laughs> and then look, and then, like I said, the other side of it is, you know, the people that have to be out there doing the work, you know, are at risk as well. And getting them, getting them awareness would be great. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Let me hit the stop button here. Hit the stop button.